Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. I'm wondering if anyone else is still praying for revival. Yeah. wonder if anyone else is still sensing it in their spirit. Is anyone else in the room yeah. excited but still dissatisfied? Anyone? Give me a wave. I feel like we've tasted it. We've kind of caught glimpses of it this year. But um, I want to tell you, we're not there yet. And there is more. There is so much more. There is so much more in God. And as we keep saying this year is that God responds to our prayer. God responds to the posture of our heart in calling him. And, um, and I think we actually need to get a little bit more desperate for the things of God. I want to show you a little flow chart that I kind of scribbled down on paper yesterday to help us understand kind of what I think the cycle of history goes through. There's a need. And who knows? The world needs Jesus. Anyone noticed? Anyone noticed? I mean, we're talking about some pretty heavy things this year. When we look around the world, there's a lot of crazy going on. Can you say it with me? The world needs Jesus. The world actually desperately needs Jesus. The issues we're talking about right now, we're trying to solve at this level But we're so far down the track that the answer's actually way back there. Like we're trying to solve the abortion problem, but the answer actually is way back there with my five-year-old daughter telling her she shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. We're so far down the track, the world desperately needs Jesus. And so there's this need, and what happens as things get darker, the light you and I realize we need to shine brighter. And so this desperation starts stirring. That's That's why the the word revival is on everybody's tongue in 2020. Because with everything that's hit the fan in 2020, the church is going, wow, we need to pray. We need to shine a whole lot brighter. We shouldn't be asking why things are so dark. We should be asking who turned out the light. And so this this need stirs a desperation and a prayer and, and a cry among the church. Billy Sunday, who was an amazing um, evangelist, said this: when is revival needed? When carelessness and unconcern keep people asleep, that's when revival's needed. And so this desperation starts to stir in the hearts of the people of God when they start seeing the desperate plight of humanity, when they start looking around and going, you know what, you're destroying yourself, you are ruining yourself, but I carry the answer, I need to get desperate. I need to stir myself. And so the church starts to stir. In 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, it says, If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. It's a beautiful promise that if we would humble ourselves, turn from our ways, seek his face, that he'll hear and he'll forgive and he'll heal the land. But if my people, then I'll heal the land. You and I, it's up to us. This desperation stirs. And you know, if you look right throughout history and revival history, I want to tell you God doesn't have favorites. He just responds to prayer. Peter said in the book of Acts, Acts 10, 34, that I see very clearly God shows no favoritism. He literally just goes, Cam is on his knees. Cam is crying out. I'm right there with him answering his petitions. He has no favorites, but he responds. He responds. And so he's searching for people who are crying out. In 2 Chronicles, one of my favorite scriptures, it says the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro across the earth to find those that he might prove himself strong on their behalf. He's looking for the loyal ones that he can prove himself strong. He's looking. He's actually looking across the whole earth for a loyal person so that he can show off in their lives. He's searching for it. In John 4, Jesus said, The hour is coming, and indeed it now is, when true worshippers, everyone say real Christian. Turn to the person next to you and say, You're a real Christian. You're a real, you're a real Christian. The time is coming, and indeed now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit, And in truth, for the Father is seeking those ones. He's looking for a place to turn up. He's looking for a place to turn up. He's looking across the whole earth. And he's going, I found a place there. I'm going to move there. He responds. He doesn't have favorites but he responds to prayer. And then there's this awakening, and the Holy Spirit then is poured out, and we call it revival. What does revival mean? It means to revive, which implies that something once was dead. And revival starts in the church, which implies the church was once And he turns up when people start crying out. And he turns up, the Holy Spirit comes. And what is revival? It's resuscitation. It's dead bones coming to life. It's the sleepy thing waking up. It's breath of life, the Spirit of God being breathed into the hearts and lungs and spirits of men and women. A revival takes place. Charles Spurgeon, the great Charles Spurgeon, says revival begins by Christians getting right first and then it spills out into the world. 
And revival happens when it happens, two things take place, refinement and release. Have we got that flow chart? Refinement and release. Two things always happen in the fires of revival. We get purified and we get purposed. We get cleansed and we get called. We get refined and we get released. Two things happen in revival. Packer, the amazing author of our generation, said this, Revival is the visitation of God that will bring to life Christians who had been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Listen. Then springs a vivid sense of sin and a profound exercise of the heart in repentance, praise, and love and with an evangelistic outflow. We are cleansed and then called. We are purified and then purposed. Two things happen when revival takes place. You and I see ourselves and we deal with ourselves and then we see the world. Two things take place in revival. Often people talk about revival as a fire, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as a fire. Do you know what happens in a fire? Things get really hot. Things get really uncomfortable. Do you know what happens when you put uh, gold through the refining process? That substance gets melted down completely. And the refining process in the fire melts that substance down and then all the dirt, all the filth separates and comes to the top. And then it's skimmed off the top and you have pure gold. The longer and the hotter that fire is, the more pure that gold becomes. So what happens in revival, friends? I mean, we're crying out for revival. But you know what? Revival to some people means someone else coming to Jesus, someone else dealing with their stuff, a whole bunch of other people. But revival actually starts in the church. And the refining process means we deal with our stuff. We deal with our stuff. And then as Packer said, it has an evangelistic outflow. It separates the filth from the truth. It purifies. And so I want to speak tonight from a very personal perspective, from my personal revivals. Because revival starts in the heart of men and women of God. And it flows out into the world. But it starts right here with you and me. And so I want to just share three lessons from the fire Three lessons from my own personal revivals. And the first lesson that I learned in the fires of revival is the law of firsts. The law of firsts. You know what? God is interested in what we put first. And it's the revival fire that brings that to the forefront. Actually, the revival fire is what brings out all the other stuff that's making the gold in me compromised. And so it brings out all the other things that actually shouldn't be there that are interfering with the integrity of who I am. The things that have taken priority in my life. God cares about that stuff. 
And revival, a personal revival has taught me the law of the firsts. I want to share it with you. In Genesis 4, we see the story of Cain and Abel. Give me a wave if you've heard the story of Cain and Abel. Two brothers. The first brothers. Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground, which means he harvested grain. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Canaan, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Proverbs 3, verse 9 to 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Do you know what I've learned in the refining fire of revival, personal revival, is the law of the first. God is testing what I put first. What I put first. You know, we can wrongly think that God preferred animals over grain. It's not true. When we read that passage properly, you'll see it says that Cain, in the course of time, brought an offering, but Abel brought his first. God cares less about what you give than why and how you give it. He doesn't care what you give to him. He's testing the priorities in your life. And so Abel brought the first fruits, the very first. He harvested and straight away, immediately and first, brought an offering to God. Cain gave when it was convenient. Cain got around to it. And God was like, I I don't actually accept that offering. You know, as a young teenager, I'm talking from my own life lessons, revival, when it hit me in the depths of who I am, I remember when I got my first job at Hungry Jack's, my first job, I couldn't wait to pay a tithe off my first pay. In fact, I'd heard someone say that a first fruit, you can actually give the whole amount of your first wage. So I actually sowed my whole first paycheck. And then after that, I couldn't wait every, every payday just to give my tenth, my tithe, first. And as I think I was 13 and nine months when you can get a job and I worked at Hungry Jack's. And since then, you have my word. I have never, ever not paid my tithe on payday. In fact, even to this day, and you can ask Sam, I won't even buy a coffee on payday until my tithe has come out first. First fruits. God tests our firsts. He's less concerned with what than why and how. And so I've learned that he's testing this in the fire. What do you put first? And not only is it a test, it's a refining that 
when you're in the presence of God, when the fire of the Holy Spirit is on you, you want to put him first. You, everything else literally falls away and all you want is to put him first. I've learned the, the law of the firsts in personal revival. In personal revival, I've learned that obedience is better than sacrifice. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it comes from a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And King Saul had rushed off and, 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 and rushed ahead of how he should have done things and took things into his own hands. And he'd actually gone against the instruction of God and sacrificed an offering to God in a way that was incorrect. And the prophet had actually asked him to wait, but he didn't wait. He went ahead and did it, and he did it in a way that disgraced God. And so Samuel, when he finally gets to Saul, he says this, 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel replied, what's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than the offering of fat and rams. Listen to this, rebellion to the things of God is as sinful as witchcraft, stubbornness is as bad as worshipping idols. And so because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And so revival actually teaches me, taught me, obedience. It taught me obedience. It taught me that God is not interested in me keeping up appearances, He's actually not interested in me looking the part if I'm stubborn and rebellious. I can fool everybody else in the room, trust me. Can't fool him. And revival, when it's in here, admits that. And it's taught me obedience. It's taught me to do what God says when he says. It's taught me obedience because obedience means more to God than all the sacrifices in the world. Because I can be doing all the things that he never asked me to do. And being stubborn in the one thing that he is asking me to do. And God doesn't, he's not interested in that. He's just interested in, in this. Because he actually has a plan for my life. He actually has an intention for me. He knows me better than anyone because he formed me and created me and called me and put me into this time and this space. So when he asks me to do something, it's for my own purpose and design. Running around doing other things that he hasn't asked is not meeting the call of God on my life. I just have to be obedient. And I've learned in the fire of revival, obedience. Charles Finney said, revival is nothing more than a new beginning of obedience to God. Do you know what? Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you've been a Christian your whole life. Obedience is nothing more than a new obedience to God. We can all have a personal revival. We can all have a personal revival. You know, many are called, but few are chosen, the Bible says. And I've realized that the chosen are the ones who are obedient. If you compare the call in the New Testament, 
when Jesus is, is choosing his disciples. Now, give me a wave, all right, in the room. If there's something in you that's hungry for God to use you in this generation, all right? So just picture yourself 2,000 years ago, and this man Jesus is walking through your town, and he's picking disciples. And he starts saying to people, come follow me, the call. The call, I've heard the call, and I didn't live 2,000 years ago, he still calls us today. He's walking through and he's going, come follow me. And he says to these guys who are fishing, they've got a business, they're busy, they're successful, they're making good money in the industry of the day. And he walks past and he says to these two guys, come follow me. And they drop everything, obedience, and follow him. They drop everything and follow him. And then he says it to a third guy, hey, come follow me. Drops everything and follows him. He walks past a tax collector's booth. Now, tax collectors were vehemently hated in culture. These guys were the cheats and the scoundrels, and they just skimmed the top off everyone's tax and horrible people. No one liked them. He walks past. There's a guy named Levi, and he goes, hey, come follow me. Levi leaves everything and follows Jesus. Left everything, obedience. But you compare it to this guy that I want to read together uh, out of Luke 18, and they call him the rich young ruler. Luke 18. Then one day a wealthy Jewish nobleman of high standing posed this question to Jesus. Wonderful teacher, what must I do to be saved and receive eternal life? And Jesus answered, why would you call me wonderful when there is only one who is wonderful, and that's God alone? You already know what is right, and the commandments teach it. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't res- um, and respectfully honor your father and mother. Dear Lord, if everyone in our generation just did those things. And the wealthy man replied, these very things I've been doing for as long as I can remember. Ah, said Jesus. There's still one thing you're missing in life. What's that? Asked the man. Go and sell everything you own and give the proceeds to the poor so that you'll have eternal treasures. Then come follow me. We've heard that before. Come follow me. The rich young ruler heard these words and was devastated because he was wealthy. Jesus saw his disappointment and looking right at him, he said, it is next to impossible for those who have everything to enter into God's kingdom realm. Nothing could be harder. It could be compared to trying to stuff a rope through the eye of a needle. And those who heard it said, well, who can be saved? Jesus responded, what appears humanly impossible is more than possible with God. For God can do what man cannot. And Peter, I love Peter. Don't we all love Peter? He says what everyone is thinking all the time. Lord, come on. Like, give us a break. Lord, we've left everything we have, our houses, our careers, to follow you. Jesus replied, listen to my words. Anyone who leaves his home behind and chooses God's kingdom realm over wife, children, parents, and family, listen, it will come back to him many more times in this life and the age to come. 
I want to tell you, God is never trying to take something from you. He's always trying to get something to you. He doesn't want you not to have the stuff. He just doesn't want it to be first in your life. And obedience is the test. Because the moment you give it over, you get it back. Nothing is ever lost in God. When we sow something in God, it just turns up in our future multiplied. But it's obedience. And the fire has taught me obedience. The fire has taught me obedience. In Luke 9, people are coming to him going, Jesus, we want to be your disciples. We want to be your disciples. And he's like, great, well, come follow me. In Luke 9, he's like, come be my disciple. And then some guy says, well, someday I will, but let me first fulfill my duty as a good son and wait for my father to pass away. Jesus told him, don't wait for your father's burial. You know, he doesn't actually mean that. Because he's the one who teaches us to care for our families. He's testing our firsts. He's testing our obedience. And still another said to him, Lord, I want to follow you too, but first let me go home and say goodbye to my entire family. And Jesus responded, why do you keep looking backward? This verse in another translation became a life verse for me as a 14-year-old girl. He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. He's always testing our obedience, and the fire has taught me obedience. Obedience. I want to tell you that serving God is not in competition with, is not in competition or at the expense of anything in life. Serving God is where the pieces of life find their meaning and their purpose. Can I say that again? Because I feel like as a pastor for the last 20-something years, this is one of the biggest and most frequent conversations I have. I want to assure you, the devil is lying to you. Following God is never in competition with or at the expense of anything in your life. You're called to give it all up, but you'll get it back in this life and the next. He's just always testing our heart our obedience, our firsts. Bill Johnson, listen. Anytime you emphasize the difficulty of obeying God's will above the rewards and the fruit of carrying it out, you take a victim's approach to obedience. Can I say it again? Anytime the devil gets in your ear and emphasizes the difficulty the cost, the inconvenience, the extensiveness of obeying God's will above the reward and the fruit of carrying it out, you have adopted a victim's approach to obedience. But revival, revival teaches us that when I give it away, I'm victorious in him. When I'm obedient to what he says because I know he's good, because I know he's faithful, because I know all the resources of heaven are available to me as a son, as a daughter of God, because I know all these things, I'm a victor. I'm victorious. And so when I'm obedient, I step into the reward, into the fruit 
of obedience to the will of God. Obedience tests our priorities. In Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. In the fire of personal revival, I've learnt the law of the firsts, I've learnt obedience, and I've learnt that the kingdom of God is completely back to front and upside down. Less is more. Losing is finding. Giving is getting. And dying is living. Less is more. Less of me is more of him. Losing my life leads to finding my life. Giving everything away is actually getting everything in return. And dying to self is actually the best way to live. The fire of revival has taught me that the kingdom of God defies all logic and common sense. The fire of revival has taught me that it most certainly, the kingdom of God is completely countercultural. Whatever the culture says, the kingdom of God is probably the opposite. The fire of revival has taught me that. It's so upside down. The first will be last. The last will be first. Leaders are servants. Like everything is upside down. And when the world is telling us to look after ourselves, the kingdom teaches us that when we look after others is when we're looked after. He who waters will himself be watered. He who casts his seed will be fed. So when the world is saying, hang on to everything and look after number one, the kingdom of God is saying, give it all away and you'll be taken care of. The fire has taught me that the kingdom of God is back to front and upside down. And you know, we... (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'll leave that bit out. If we truly understand the ways of the kingdom, we'll acknowledge this one truth. Write this down. You can never keep yourself happy by trying to keep yourself happy. You can never, ever keep yourself happy by trying to keep yourself happy. (laughs) You know, studies have shown that people who serve others physically live longer. They have lower rates of stress. They have lessened symptoms of chronic pain, hypertension, high blood pressure, and heart disease. Several studies have shown that volunteers with chronic or serious illness experience decline in pain, intensity, and depression when serving uh, for others. Research has shown that these kinds of activities can lengthen your lifespan, improve your ability to manage stress, and stave off diseases, as well as reduce the rates of depression, and they increase the sense of life satisfaction. No, 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 but the world is telling you, just look after yourself. Well, you're going to die sooner. What does the Bible say? If you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you give it away, you're going to find it. Mentally, people who serve 
have lower rates of depression, anger, and anxiety, have higher self-esteem and confidence, have higher rates of happiness and life satisfaction, have a heightened sense of well-being, and are less negative and pessimistic. Professionally, people who serve are favored for job positions by prospective employers. They learn additional skill sets needed for professional advancement. Teenagers who volunteer exhibit better grades at school and a better self-image. These people are happier at work than those who don't prioritize helping others. Personally and relationally, people who serve have a greater sense of purpose and meaning, and they're more connected socially with deeper and more lasting relationships. These studies, literally, I'll quote this, when we give of ourselves everything from life satisfaction to self-realization and physical health is significantly improved. The Bible says it and science proves it, and yet culture is still telling us to look after ourselves. Come on. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. Albert Einstein, only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. Zig Ziglar, you you can get anything in life that you want if you help enough people get what they want. Is there anyone here who wants to find the meaning of life? Give it away. Losing is finding. Matthew 16, 25, Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lost his own soul? Mother Teresa said, a life not lived for others is not a life. Anyone here want to know how to receive everything that God has for them? Just give everything away and you'll receive. Jesus said, Acts 20, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And give until it hurts. That's when it counts. Mother Teresa said, if you give what you do not need, that is not giving. I'm sorry, I'm just telling you what I've learned. I've learned I come alive when I feel the thing leaving me. I come alive when I feel the cost of my obedience. Something in me comes alive when I put him first against all other temptations and voices. I come alive. And he works everything out. I can't even tell you the miracles that I've seen. He is So good. He is beyond description. Anne Frank said, no one has ever become poor by giving. Our senior pastor says, bad money management will make you poor. Giving won't. In fact, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's an upside down kingdom. Do you want to know how to get more of God in your life? Anyone? Anyone want more of God in their lives? (laughs) Then just have less of yourself in the equation. 
less is more. Less is more. John the Baptist said these words, he must increase, I must decrease. You know, as a young person, 13 years old, introduced to this Savior, Jesus Christ, disappointed in life, broken, hurting. I'd spent my life and watched everyone around me just exist. I watched life fall down around us, so disappointed in life. And I met this Jesus and and he called my name and he knew me and he had a plan for me and I suddenly had an opportunity for purpose. I suddenly had an opportunity for a reason to live my life and to make a difference with it. I remember being this young teenager and at every single altar call, in every single worship service, you know, you know those moments in the song where Jared kind of just, you know, like between the chorus and the next verse and there's like this free worship bit? I remember always, every time, I would just sing, less of me, God, more of you. For years, I can still picture myself singing it, 13, 14, 15, less of me, God, more of you. I remember every altar call, standing at the altar going, God, do whatever you want with my life. I'll do anything you want me to do. God, I'll go anywhere. I'll give anything. God, less of me and more of you. Can I tell you, I have not stopped praying those prayers. I haven't. In however many years it's been, I've never stopped. God, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. I'll give anything. Sav, I've been criticized. I've been mocked and called extreme. You know what? I'm okay with that. My Jesus was pretty extreme. The disciples, they were pretty extreme. They changed the world. They changed the world. You know, when Back then, we used to sing songs that said, send me. We used to say, God, Jesus, I believe in you and I'll go to the ends of the earth. We used to sing songs like that. Now we sing songs that are asking God to help us. We used to sing, send me. Now we're singing, help me. And I wonder, I wonder whether that's why we're so desperately unhappy. I wonder whether that's why we're so desperately angry, disappointed, dissatisfied. The fires of revival refine us and then they release us. He's calling us. He's calling us, come follow me. Will you drop everything and follow him? He's calling us, he's saying, Who will go for me? Isaiah 6, the passage I keep coming back to in 2020. I saw a vision of the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, and one of 
One cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke, filled with the presence of the Lord. So I said, (laughs) this is what happens when we see God. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man that is unclean. And I dwell in a people who are unclean. My eyes have now seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew over to me, having in his hand a live coal. Catch this, revival, the fire, the coal. It's a live coal. It's burning hot. And he'd taken it from the tongs on the very altar of God. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, it has touched your lips Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. You are cleansed. You are refined. You are purified. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. You know what revival does? It refines us and releases us. It purifies us and purposes us. It cleanses us and calls us. And he's going, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? What is our response tonight going to be in this generation? When is revival needed? (laughs) When indifference causes us to stay asleep. And you know what? A church alive is the hope of the world. Thank you for listening. If you made a decision to follow Jesus... Congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We encourage you to tell someone about your decision and pray and read the Bible every day. We also recommend attending a church in your local area. We have many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We are so excited to see you there.